Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I almost forgot the show name. David, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show, man. Thanks, Robbie. Good to be back. How's it been, man? It's been a while since we last chatted. It's been a while, yeah. I'm trying to think what was happening. Um, probably in the middle of COVID or something. Well, we did the the panel episode with um, Norman Fenton, yeah. Charles Rixey, and David Liv- uh, Livermore. Yeah. Uh, I think that was last. I think that was a little bit before the unvaccinated documentary actually came out, which I don't know if you've seen that, but it's just like, look, I know they can do whatever they want and they, whoever's money. But the real issue when it starts coming in, like talks of pandemic and all these types of things, I'm, I've been out of the world for a little bit and kind of looking through Charles and uh, Twitter, your Twitter feed, uh, Peter McCullough's Twitter feed and a bunch of other things. I started realizing it's still a huge issue. And a lot of it now is like things that I've noticed have been the complete dismissal of things earlier, certain medications and certain protocols are now being accepted and nobody's batting an eye at it. I think the Daily Mail just released an article saying it would be okay it not to vaccinate kids and things of this sort, where I'm like, yeah. the WHO was pushing that in the beginning, if I'm not mistaken. Well, I don't know if they put, they're pushing vaccine in general. <clears throat> I don't know if they're pushing it specifically for kids, though, more saying, you know, we got to save it for other people. Um, but they, they just come out clearly and said it doesn't make sense for kids. But, you know, this is like, of course it doesn't because kids are at minimal risk and we have no long-term data on the vaccine. <clears throat> and it's a completely different type of medicine than we've given to humans before. So, of course, you wouldn't give to kids. You know, it's common sense. You wouldn't give to pregnant women, for instance, because we, have, we know process of placenta, we have no idea the risk. So, you know, the, things, aren't, things are sort of changing in that there's a lot of common sense um, things that you would never do that we did. And now people are sort of getting out. Maybe they're getting out of the fear or the panic and they're realizing, yeah, that was really stupid. We should never have done that. So some things are going back towards normal in terms of, you know, you don't experiment on children or pregnant women, stuff like that. What do you think was the biggest, I guess, issue and probably an issue that we're still facing today when it comes to the, the pandemic? In terms of COVID, um, uh, do you, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, well, it's it's an issue, whether it's a good or bad thing. I think, yeah, there, there is a complete, almost complete loss of confidence or faith in big public health institutions. Um, but, you know, that may not be a bad thing because these institutions, yeah, they went against, uh, CDC had their own um, meta-analysis of masks saying they make no sense in, you know, influenza, which is another aerosolized virus. And they brought that out in early 2020, but then they went and told everyone to wear masks. WHO did the same in the same situation. Um, you know, the, it's clear from the data that, that they themselves published in these randomized controlled trials that, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's not masks in the community make no sense yet. There is this sort of fascist push to make everyone comply with these dictates, even though people who stopped and thought about it saw that there was no basis for them. So why would those people have any faith now in what they're hearing from the public health institutions? So, you know, it's a problem because there are things we need to do to improve public health and there are real dangers. But I think, you know, 
crying wolf this many times or uh, appearing to be fairly clearly in the pockets of you know large pharma companies and so on is not it's a good thing that we don't trust them because of a lot of the incoherent and stupid stuff that they said but it's not a good thing from the point of view of we do need you know trusted public health institutions for when we do actually have a crisis whenever we get into these types of conversations usually about the covid subject you i don't know if you've noticed this but it always goes into like population control it goes into so much more when it goes into deeper of like they're trying to control everybody i don't think it's necessarily all that what i start to kind of bring it to is just a really unhealthy relationship with certain influences into academic institutions or just institutions in general that are supposed to be solidified in the public's mind, at least, as being you're, you're the priority. And I think that's kind of taken a back seat now. And it, the damage to that is, is that either there are people that are doubling down when they know that they're saying the incorrect information, but maybe they're pitched something like you're doing a service by pushing a one cure solution like they had been doing instead of looking at other forms of treatment, or they're just feel like they don't want to lose their career and their livelihood on so much maybe that they fought for. And I think that puts not only researchers in a bad place. And I do think there are some researchers that are knowingly doing it on purpose because they're getting a paycheck on the side. I do agree with that, but I'm trying, I don't know if you, like I said, if you think about it always leads into the world population thing. And I'm trying to find a more general public could get on board with basis than always going straight to the end goal type thing. I feel like the message gets lost in translation because there is important things we can point out. And that is the fact that nobody ever recommended getting healthy during this pandemic. It wasn't until way later when we opened back up and everything was already pushing the vaccine. And there was other forms of treatment like ivermectin and other things that had been labeled a certain thing and stigmatized so much to where now, if you look on the CDC and the WHO, they're recommending those. They're saying these are okay forms of treatment. And it's like, did they have time to do enough tests? Yes, but we also shamed it so bad to where they wouldn't even look into it because they were just pushing one cure solution. And that was just completely gotten to the political realm now where now it's so divisivized, even talking about it still carries stigma. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think, you know, I don't think there's a, a little circle of people sitting around a table, you know, playing chess with the world's population. Um but there, there is a confluence of self-interest. And, you know, if, if you can put all this down to greed, maybe there's other people with, you know, different people have different ideas. There's countries that want national power. There's corporations that want, you know, want to do the right thing by their shareholders. And they just see that as making as much money as possible without, you know, worrying where it comes from. The, the, you know, you've got a, a medical profession, health professions that have been, um, had it drilled into them that if someone's sick, you give them a medicine. If someone, you know, if there's an infectious disease, you make a vaccine. You know, when I went through medical school, and it's not that long ago, um, you know, we were told, it was pointed out to us that most of the improvement in life expectancy, et cetera, in Western countries was due to better nutrition, better housing, better living conditions. And then antibiotics added a lot to that. And vaccines came at the very end. There's a couple of cases like smallpox, polio, where vaccines have had a big impact. But still, even with polio, a lot of it, you know, the, the main impact is probably sanitation. It's a fecal-borne virus. So um, 
Yeah, but I think now the people coming out of medical schools and so on are being told it's vaccines that save the world, it's medicines that save the world. So this sort of really strong allopathic influence that, you know, you don't get someone better by fixing their diet. That's some sort of weirdo cultish thing. You get them better by giving a medicine made by Pfizer. And it doesn't actually make sense if you sit down and think about it and the fact that humans have survived pretty well for many, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. But um, I think that is driving it. So there people, you know, it's when you get people talking about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or something, and, you know, they're safe drugs that may or may not help. I think they probably do if they're given in the right way. But the... Um, there's this fear that you're going to be seen as being on this sort of quack side of medicine rather than a science-driven, if they're sick, give them a drug side, which is the way that everyone is being taught. So that has allowed this to happen. So it's allowed these drug companies and their investors and others who are interested to convince people that, you know, forget life, forget that you're impoverishing people and that increases their mortality forget the effect in their exercise their diets etc just lock them down until you can give them the magic cure which will come out of a factory and it's if you stop and think it through it's an insane way to do medicine but that is the way that has been drummed into in medical schools and so that that's made it very easy i think convince a medical profession to just sit back and let this happen is like what's the road back like do we talk about the relationship with an unhealthy relationship with a business like Pfizer? I mean, that relationship has been going back for a very long time. Surprisingly, if you rewind it back to the Wolf of Wall Street, they even mentioned that strip club party or dinner party that he had where he spent like $50,000 or whatever. He said it was the Pfizer clients. There was a little name drop in there of the Pfizer clients. And through my bioweapons exploration into their history, Pfizer bought the Vigo Ordnance Plant, which was an anthrax bomb uh, facility where I'm like, that's like buying the Amityville house. You can buy any fac factory to make whatever you want, but they chose that one in specific. So I'm just curious, like, is this a relationship where it's been going on for a long time? Do we have many of these that we just don't know about in our institutions? And what's the road back? I mean, the message to the public is a problem, but also blending statistics and lying about data to the public's face when they're trusting your word to give them the honest information is an even bigger problem. Well, that's the weird thing, isn't it? So Pfizer have paid the biggest criminal payout, you know, for liability in in history, in criminal history, not that many years ago. Um, we, we know about, or most people should know about, the Vioxx saga with Merck, where they knowingly um, allowed a drug that was they knew was killing a lot of people to be out there, etc. And you know, drug companies... If they're pay, if they're forced to pay two or three billion dollars on a product, but they have made twenty billion dollars out of it, then that's just a cost of production. It's not or a cost of marketing. It's not something that's going to stop them. So, you know, the, the, so the weird thing there is that people are trusting Pfizer as if it is some, um, you know, the Pfizer is there for you sort of idea, and they're there for your good. And so they'll take public health advice and advice from companies that they know or should know 
have a strong track history of lying to people in order to make more money, of false advertising, etc. So you know, why would you do that? And I guess it's because these companies have become so powerful and so rich, and those who support them, that they have bought the media, they have bought the regulatory institutions. So the sort of checks and balances that we thought were in place to stop this from happening are no longer there. So people still trust CNN, New York Times, et cetera. But if you look at the who owns them in terms of investment, it's the same groups who own, for instance, Pfizer. So it goes back to BlackRock, Vanguard, et cetera. So our society has become built on these large investment houses who, if they're being logical and doing what they're supposed to do, which is maximize profits, they're going to use the media to improve the profits on their other assets because they're looking at the whole portfolio. So, so I think we society has somehow got into this situation where it's, it's really difficult to know who is speaking honestly and who is just doing their job and serving those who pay them. Well, it puts so, yeah. people like yourself Sorry. in a bad position because if you're openly speaking out about something that a lot of these institutions are pushing, saying it's the right information, but you're looking at things and saying it's the wrong information, you know, then it puts pressure on you guys. You not only get attacked by the public, but you also get shamed and blackballed. And if you're still an active, you know, uh, in your field, whatever you're exploring in, then that hurts your business. That hurts your career. That hurts your credibility as a doctor or whatever specification that you have. And I, the Great Barrington Declaration is the best example of all the number of doctors who are still practicing that have openly been speaking about this is not how we do medical practices at all. And people would shame that. People would say, no, these doctors don't know what they're talking about. They're crazy and all this type of stuff. And it's not true. It's like, well, hold on a second. That means you let a bunch of people have degrees that are crazy. That's red looks really bad on you still. So it's like, which, which, what road did they want to take on? And you start realizing there might be a little bit more there. And after like the unvaccinated documentary and talking to Norman Fenton, I mean, the number of statistics and stuff that they manipulated to fit their description. And they did that documentary completely one-sided. Like they were talking to flat earthers. They had a guy that thought it was all microchips and stuff. It's like, you really picked the crazy out of the bunch. You couldn't just look at the people that want to see the data and want to see the actual statistics and not be pitched a certain way numbers don't lie but people can put them in any order that they want to make it fit and if you're asking people and this is this is in our history already of past research studies and research academic influence what's the cure for that do we talk about an oversight committee committee to look at the relationships and financial interests of a lot of these people and have it all open in a court hearing to be able to see if they're benefiting way more than they're supposed to be making a couple dollars on the side is not bad but if you're relaying a public message that is increasing your bank account so much money so that it's going to sway your opinion to be able to do so, now you're not only putting the academic careers of others on the line, you're also making their lives hell, but making your life so much better. Yeah, I, I don't know how you get around that easily. Um, you know, the, the Great Barrington Declaration was um, it was basically restating the 2019 WHO, you know, World Health Organization pandemic flu guidelines. Now, there, there's nothing in the Great Barrington Declaration that is not orthodox public health. But as you said, it was, and there was a, um, from very high up in NIH, et cetera, as we know now, there was an organized campaign to discredit 
the people who said that. So they, they were discrediting orthodox public health without putting any evidence to back this up. Um, so yeah, if you've got people that are going to do that, it's it's very hard, and they're they're prominent public figures. It's very hard to push back on this. I think all you can do is just try to stick to evidence. You know, the Earth is not flat; it's round, and ivermectin is not a very harmful drug. We give it to you know, Merck has given out over four billion doses to people who are not sick because we use it for mass uh, drug administration you know, in well people to try to reduce uh, river blindness and other diseases. So, so it, it's, um, you know, you've just got to keep banging away on what's factual, I think, and hope that the public, because uh, the people who are paid to not tell the truth, they're not, most of them are going to keep doing what they're doing. Because if, if you accept to do that in the first place, then you get yourself in a situation where it's very difficult to back down because then you have to admit you lied for money. So I think you just got to try to keep going on with the truth. And in time, most of the public who are not that stupid will start to distinguish between who is probably reliable and who is not. If I toss an idea out there to you, you let me know on a scale of one to 10 how conspiratorial it is. But do you think it was a way to clear out a lot of these institutions from people that do not think or agree with the official narrative of things that they're trying to push? Like if you're really trying to get a large batch of people and trying to say, hey, this is what we got going on. You're going to follow this or you'll be blackballed or anything of that sort. That's very simple terms. I'm sure there's a longer sophisticated monthly process that you know they have to do to do that. But some people will either not agree with it and then like the paramedics and the number of first responders that refused to do certain things ended up getting pushed out or fired and lost their jobs. Do you think it's something like that? Like it makes a lot of sense when you really examine it. I mean, if you're going to look at the institutions and there's already enough complaints on the medical institutions in general before the pandemic, this is a great way to clear it out. So you can not resettle or relayer the whole medical institution, but you could just solidify the roots of what you want to be in the medical institution. I always bring up people have been known in all throughout history to want to protect themselves and their reputations. Look at the example of a famous serial killer, Janine Jones. She worked at a hospital and killed up to what they speculate 60 babies. And the reason why it continued was because the hospital pushed her to another hospital because they knew something was going on but didn't want to deal with the scandal. And also they destroyed documentation to prevent further lawsuits. So that's a medical institution already that is not giving you – and is it all medical institutions? No. Is it all doctors there? No. But it's certain ones. And you, now you have to look at – imagine if you had the whole market flooded with everyone that's wanting pr to protect their reputation over the public's health. And that's kind of where you have the more ethical doctor concern, where I'm pretty sure every doctor takes a pledge of doing no wrong. But there's a lot of things where you start going, well, if you're taking money and you're not saying the truth or you're just sitting on your thumbs because you don't want to deal with the hassle of losing your career or anything like that, then you are also at fault. Well, you are, but then you drum it in at the medical schools that um... – these people are conspiracy theorists, these people are flat earthers, these people are good, and you drum that into them for several years. And then when they come out as doctors, you know, they 
you're not sort of paid to question as a doctor. You're paid to reiterate knowledge more and more now and follow guidelines, et cetera. So you, you, you can make it easy for them to justify to themselves what they're doing and even remain ignorant and, you know, perhaps willfully ignorant, but it's easy to remain ignorant. Um, you know, uh, most doctors now probably don't read actual studies. They will read short summaries in you know, the Journal of the Medical American Medical Association or a similar. And so they'll read opinion pieces, they'll read stuff from drug companies, but they won't go back to the actual studies. They won't spend time because they're often busy. They won't spend time digging into, you know, what are the conflicts of interest in this study, et cetera. So I think the way it's structured now, it's pretty easy to at least use the fact that people are busy and that people are, you know, there's peer pressure and so on. And there's a general fear of being on the outside and being a, you know, a maverick or whatever. So it's not hard to get people to comply. I'm not sure that there is a, you know, cleaning out the institutions. I think there's probably a, there's certainly an interest in these institutions to, um, to have compliance or to stop people from thinking too deeply. If you, if you look at the, the remuneration around COVID in the US hospitals, for instance, that the you know, hospital got paid extra for a COVID patient. They got paid extra if they were put in ICU, got paid extra if they were given um, remdesivir, they got paid extra if they were given, if they were intubated. And these were payments that were far above the cost of the extra procedures. So you've got this incentive structure that's put in at an administrative level. So there's a lot of pressure on those doctors to do the right thing for the hospital. You know, certainly the hospital is not going to stand behind doctors who say this is insane. We should stop doing this and lose three million dollars. So I think there is a lot of different pressures um, that, that cause the problem that we had. You know, we, it's fairly, it was clear early on, but it's more clear now that, you know, the way to manage COVID is not intubate someone in an emergency response in the emergency department and then, you know, paralyze them and then just have this elderly frail body on a tube in a bed. It's the, the way to manage it is like we always did for elderly people with other respiratory diseases, which is keep them ambulatory, um, positive pressure, ventilation with a mask, uh, chest physio, et cetera, and help them to, you know, get over their respiratory illness as you need to with an old person. So, um, you know, how, how we went down that other road is uh, there's also uh, doctors are humans. They get scared. I know doctors who are genuinely fearful of dying of COVID even though they're at minimal risk and no more risk than a whole heap of other viruses. But, you know, they're, they're all human as well. Do you believe that this leads to more independent institutions, like if we're going to talk about being on the right track, but independent doctors with their own clinics, um, people that may not agree or fit? I mean, if we can make that option available, there's plenty of ones that are practicing in their own business practices that probably have given way better advice during this pandemic that didn't agree with what the official guidelines were because they understand their patients more. I mean, it's more personalized care, which is something I think we've talked about in the past. 
but this would be a good way to get on the right track if there was actually more of an incentive for people to want to speak out and say their opinion on things. I mean, instead of making drones that are just agreeing with here's what you're told and here's what you're going to do, having independent people that want to speak out about certain things that they see. I mean, you can, I don't agree with the whole patchouli oil and rubbing oils on your skin to feel better, but there's people out there that obviously there's science to show that there's food that you can eat that is healthier for you. That'll make you feel better overall, emotionally, mentally, physically. There's evidence to support that it doesn't need to just be a pill to be able to fix that. And if someone wants to be able to practice in that form and be able to run their thing, I think they should be given a certain amount of budget per year to be able to do so, especially if you're going to start a big clinic, not something that's so small where it's only a couple of doctors, but have a bunch of people that are like-minded to be able to say, hey, you don't need to do this. I mean, we went in a dangerous route with the vaccination thing and also requiring vaccinations that could have been forced vaccinations where people were showing up to your house and being able to give you an injection. I know it sounds crazy, but there was a real point where that could have been the case. And that was because they were shoving it down your throat. I mean, the guidelines for the goalpost, I would say moved from, we're not going to force these. to now where we're going to require these to the idea of vaccine passports, to people losing their jobs, to people saying, I mean, it, it went really quickly and a, over a couple months started changing so drastically because they realized how far they could keep going. And we put our foot down as people, a lot of people did. And now it's like, you don't even have to really have a shot. They just go, if you got COVID before you're okay. It's like, what about all the people that got two shots and a booster and all this type of stuff? And do they just, is that just like, what the hell was that? They just kind of scoff it off like a bad uh, experience at summer camp? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, the the, the immunity thing was pretty interesting. <laughs> this is like we saying for the, you know, that was well known before 2020, obviously. I mean, post-infection immunity for respiratory viruses, you'd expect it to probably be better than than vaccination, um, you know, Tony Fauci wrote a paper in January this year, pointing that out as well, saying that the the COVID vaccinations were never expected to work. I'd love to well. see that fucking paper, and I want to see the clip uh, of him saying so. that. It's, it's a prominent journal. He's, he's, it's in so he's one of three that man has flip flops so back and forth on so much stuff. Where I'm just like, bruh, does he not remember what he said a month ago or two months ago? It's like oh, it's recorded. Oh. I don't think it matters because the media doesn't want to look back and most people, that's still where they get the news. So he can write what he likes and change it the next day. And I don't think people, the media is mostly not going to report that. Um, but I, where this is, I, what worries me is where this is going. So we, COVID is sort of slipping away. We just heard Congress, I think, of voted to end the emergency, which, you know, arguably should never have been there in the first place. Um, we now, um, but we now embarked on this, you know, the next pandemic is coming, you know, there's an urgent need, et cetera, which, yeah, I mean, the, the next pandemic will come if, if we decide that every little viral outbreak is a pandemic. Uh, we never used to, we had, you know, after the Spanish flu, there was one in 1957, 58, one in 69, 68, 69. And then, you know, swine flu wasn't really a pandemic at all. So we had sort of two flu, bad flu outbreaks in a century. 
before, you know, between Spanish flu and COVID. That's sort of what you'd expect if, if we're not going to go, you know, playing gain of function in poor labs, et cetera. So either we're terrified because of you know, what we're doing with viruses in labs now, and we think we're putting the whole human race at risk and we need to do something about that while we keep doing these experiments. Or we've just, you know, certain people have seen that this is a just a way of printing money and we need to have COVID over and over again. So we, a lot of people aren't that aware because it's hardly in the media, but the, the World Health Organization, the World Bank, CEPI, which is a sort of public-private partnership in Switzerland, et cetera, these large organizations are working now on sort of cementing in place a COVID response. So we're going and they're, they're putting a huge surveillance network in place. This is costing ten, you know, $10 billion a year. They're talking about an additional funding just for this, where they will find viruses in any country, find variants. They, the same people will see that these, um, they'll, they'll decide whether these, they don't even have to hurt people. They just have to potentially be a threat. And then they can declare a health emergency. And what there's one person in the WHO has the power to do that, the director general, without consulting anyone, as he did with monkeypox as well, um, after five deaths globally. And then he can, the, the, if these, the, there's uh, amendments to the international health regulations and there's a tr sort of treaty mechanism that it's going to go to the vote of their uh, assembly, the World Health Assembly next year. So they're working on these with the support of large countries and organizations that are sponsored by pharma. And it'll mean this surveillance network will find these viruses and then they will do what they did with COVID. So they'll lock populations down. They're having a, they're trying to accelerate this mRNA vaccine to 100 days now. They have a program for that. So they will then they'll lock everyone down. They'll say, we'll save you with the vaccine. We've got to get every, this into everyone for the sake of the economy that we just locked down, for the sake of the people that are in some existential threat from a virus they've just identified that doesn't even have had to kill anyone yet. And then you can mandate vaccination on that basis. And as we saw with COVID, it'd be anyone who says they don't want to try out a vaccine that was only started 100 days ago and has had no long-term data, they, they will be treated as an enemy of the people and enemy of humanity. To the paid media, which is sponsored, you know, the fire, Pharma, after certain governments, pharma is the largest sponsor of media now, mass media. So they will sponsor the media to say, this has to happen. We've got to get out of this before we have another crisis like COVID. So we're going to have this rolling system of identify a virus, lockdown, mandate a vaccine, go and identify the next virus. And in nature, we always have variants of viruses emerging, we always have, you know, we will identify new viruses all the time because so many out there. So we're developing this industry in the background that most people are unaware of, which is essentially modeled on COVID, on the COVID response, which will, so it, it's going to print money for the people that printed money during COVID. And we weren't all in it together. We know there's an unprecedented number of billionaires were produced out of that, whilst the rest of the world's population on average became much poorer and continues to become poorer. 
So uh, this will just exaggerate this inequality in wealth, which exaggerates inequality in power. So, you know, how do you stop this? You were saying, uh, I mean, we, we need to change the mindset of people and of legislators. And this is where I think it's probably a good thing that public health institutions are losing their trust because they're the ones, for whatever reason, that are pushing this. And this is a just a societal disaster. It's going to undo hundreds of years of work in trying to build democracies and, you know, a rational way of managing society in general. So uh, I think uh, I think we we need to discredit this whole the whole idea that pandemics are an existential threat that they're killing more and more people. COVID killed on average at an average age of about seventy five to eighty years old. In Europe, it was like eighty three. Most people are unaware of that because the media is not talking about it. If most people knew. COVID, which a lot of people still think was a, an existential crisis, that the average age of death was about 80. And that you know, 95% of people who died had other major illnesses. Uh, All-cause mortality barely increased in most, country, in most countries during that time, certainly not more than you know, it had in the previous 20 years. Then people would see this differently. And I think this whole thing would start to be discredited. So do you blame media more? Do you blame people? More? Yeah, I, I think so. I think I blame. Well, yeah, I think I blame media more. I blame Fox and CNN are... on that one. I'm sorry, but I, I blame them both. I do give uh, CNN a little bit of crap, too, because CNN a little bit more crap, I should say, than I do Fox, because Fox at least talks about it. But the Tucker Carlson doesn't, I, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but I, he doesn't do it in the right way. He does it very jokingly, which is like you're not the way you should be talking about real, some real serious issues. But CNN doesn't do it any better when Anderson Cooper invites the mayor of Vegas or governor of Vegas, and he starts talking about restrictions for casinos when they open back up. And he's like, you don't want to follow China's protocol. And she goes, I, I we're not China. We're, we're Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm like, dude, what are we talking about? He said, that's very ignorant. I go, you know, she was going to give some dumb response. And you said it like that. It was like, there's way better ways to get the message out there. If a person can do it from their independent podcast or someone can do it on Joe Rogan's or whatever, then you can do it on your giant news network to hit the older generations that don't know about podcasts. Yeah, you can. Um, but what they'll do is they'll, you know, CNN. So they'll get the the CEO of Pfizer on, and they'll say, you know, do you think children should be vaccinated? And then they'll ask the person who is stands to make tens of billions of dollars and big bonus to his salary by having children vaccinated. So, you know, we, we've reached, uh, I think, a point with those with large media where a lot of it is so illogical that it, I don't know how people cope. But um, I agree. I, I mean, at least, you know, and I, I was one of those people who before, you know, COVID came along thought, you know, Fox was right-wing conspiracies. Um, and then I, I sort of, you know, I think early on in COVID when I saw, you know, it happens to be my field, so I could see what the media I trusted were saying versus what I knew as reality, I realized that they were um, just towing a completely, um, and it obviously wasn't ignorant, so a, 
nefarious line, really. They were deliberately misleading people. So it, it sort of makes you look a bit harder at what's going on. Uh, I, I think um, you know, someone like Fox, they, they're treading an interesting line because they need, they all need advertising to survive these networks. So it's difficult to run stories however true they are if they are going to destroy your advertising base, which is predominantly pharma and government, and you know, then you don't survive. So uh, I, I think, yeah, I mean, that doesn't excuse a journalist for standing in front of a camera and lying. Um, I've talked yeah, to many yeah. CNN broadcasters and Fox broadcasters. The journalistic ethic, there is none. It's, it's sadly you're in a place where your career is put on the line, much like your medical career can be put on the line if you don't agree. And we're just a really tight woven capitalistic system. I hate to say it like that because it sounds so like anarchist and I'm not an anarchist at all. It's just about recognizing that we have some really tied in relationships where I think now when new people come into the field thinking that they're going to do what they've been educated on, what they're going to do, they realize it's not like that at all and that they have to kind of toe the line or they're going to lose everything. And that's why there's so many independent journalistic sites and reporting sites, but it's the message. I mean, how long can we, how many people care now that the WHO makes a new statement saying you don't need to vaccinate kids? I mean, Everyone at this point is either tuned out, doesn't care, doesn't trust anything, and they're gone, and they're looking at the media and whatever fits their narrative to go to. And it's like we can't be this disconnected from things. We do have to recognize that before the pandemic even happened, there were issues, but we were never this tense. We were never this divided. I still see people with masks sometimes. Most of all restrictions, if not all restrictions, are gone. But it's a double standard. If you don't, if you if you like wearing masks, then you should follow the six foot rule. If you like everything, right? That's if you're doing one of them, it doesn't make sense. I just saw the other day a guy that comes into my gym all the time, always wears a mask, didn't have his mask on. I go, what happened? The COVID's not gone, and he was just like tired of dealing with it. He's an older guy, and I'm not shaming him for protecting himself by wearing a mask. I I honestly thought masks work in the beginning. I still think they do some, whatever, maybe a little bit. You might get more sick. Also, I've talked that conversation too, um, but it's the whole like if you're only going to follow the one that you think you like then you should be able to challenge that notion right like getting a shot getting a mask getting six feet apart uh wiping down surfaces all these things that they said if you're just choosing wiping down surfaces and you're not doing the other ones then are you 100 percent without risk then no because you're not 100 percent without risk in life so if you're only going to pick the one that you like then you start question that you should question that narrative. You should question those decisions, and you should be able to have a conversation about it, not just think that you're right and walk off. Yeah, you should question everything uh, that you're told. And, <clears throat> you know, you, you can't blame people for, as we were saying, um, trusting these institutions that, you know, if it's not your field, you've got to, everything we do is on trust. I mean, you know, we have trust that they landed on the moon. We have trust that... Um, there are billions of galaxies out there. We can't see billions of galaxies, but we have trust that what NASA is telling us from James Wood telescope or whatever is true. Um, so life can, you have to trust people to get by in life. Um, but yeah, when it comes to our own health and our own freedom, for instance, and so on, we, we really should hold those so high that 
we have to um, start questioning when they're put on the line. The, you know, you're saying that journalists have no choice but to toe the line because of funding and et cetera. But the truth is they do have a choice. They can choose to leave journalism or they can choose to go to alternative journalism. So, you know, we all have choices in these things. Um, it's easier, for, a lot easier for some than others. But in the end, you, you, you're putting, you know, am I going to throw away my ideals and my integrity or am I going to and get money and just live with that? Or am I going to put my integrity and my ideals above convenience, as it often is, or even, you know, significant things that you can do with a decent salary. But so you've got to decide whether in the end, as being a human, is a, you know, is there an intrinsic um, value in being a human, et cetera, in what we're doing that is higher than just the day-to-day -day salary stuff um, and a career. And, you know, it's, it's, it's easier for some people, it's harder than other people, but in the end, that there is... Say, Sorry, that's, where, no. that's where the blame goes on the people because that moral question, it's like asking someone, are you happy? There's a lot of people that don't want to answer that question because they just don't, they know what the answer is, but they just don't feel like voicing it out and hearing it. And that is the question what you're asking. Are you going to put your own moral and integrity above making money? That moral decision is a tough one. There's a lot of people that will not make the right choice in that aspect of things because you're asking someone to struggle again. If they're in a position that they spent all these years going into debt to get an education and something that they want to make a career out of, and it's their first year in there, and something like this happens, I don't blame them for making the tough choice of taking the money and keeping their career, especially if they have a family. But also, what's the gain for voicing out your opinion and voicing out your expertise against it if it doesn't agree with the official narrative? It doesn't if it doesn't agree with anything that we've done in the medical past. You know, like there's a whole medical history we could have looked at to examine how we act during this pandemic. And we decided to do a whole new thing. And all those people that want to follow what they were taught in school, but now have to change. And now that they voice their opinion, they lose everything. They get blackballed on the internet. They get made fun of on the internet. They get in arguments. People attack their homes. People attack them. Then what, what does that lead to? It leads to suicide. It leads to other things of conflicts within oneself and Maybe they were wrong and doubts and then grief and then all this mental anguish that goes down board. I mean, nobody even thinks about all the doctors and number of people that had lost family members or were double vaxxed and not boosted and were called anti-vaxxers. That is a dangerous thing. Yeah, it, it's a lot easier for some people than others. So and that's why I think you can't condemn anyone for you know, go along with this, go along with that. I mean, you, know, you talk about people washing down surfaces or masking, you know, if they feel they need to do that, I'm not that fussed about it as long as um, you're not imposing it on others. But um... I just hate when these conversations always get into world population control. That's why I'm glad we're talking about this a little bit more in depth into a logical basis, because that's always what I see with the COVID stuff always goes to that and i'm like you don't need all that i don't believe it and i can't get on board with it but if you tell people that they'll make really terrible decisions when they're put in a position where they have to or if they're put in a position where they feel like they're going to benefit more from the terrible decision people are good and bad they're never 100 percent one thing but it's about how you catch them and how they're you know what they're passionate about but 
dude, I'm telling you, man, it's so much easier to get people on board if you just show them it's a track record of history that America and human civilizations have put themselves in situations that they're in that they feel like they can't escape from. Yeah, and you know, Occam's razor says go to the 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 most obvious um, reason for a problem, and um, yeah, I mean, just plain greed is what drives a lot. You know, through history has driven humans to do this sort of thing. Uh, I think it's probably doing it again. Greed, you know, greed for money, greed for power. And so, do you, you don't have to have some sort of complicated long term sort of conspiracy there and you know, it doesn't mean that there aren't people who and obviously there are people who want to reduce the world's population some of them want to do it for some sort of you know they see a good reason they see the world being somehow healthier if there's only you know 500 million people or something that doesn't mean that they're designing things to cause mass death that's a huge step i think it's much more likely that people are pushing out vaccines just to make lots of money quickly. And they've discovered that they don't have to be particularly fussed with the safety stuff and so on. And they, they can use the money that they're making to ensure that goes into the future by having some control over the regulatory system, having control over politicians, control over the media. Uh, that's more than enough for me, I think, to explain what is going on out there. Do you think that the government or the institutions were the problem with how it got dragged into the political sphere? Or do you think that's media? I don't think you can say one or the other. Governments are beholden to media, aren't they? If, you know, look what happened to DeSantis for, you know, after initial lockdowns. So he pointed out that this isn't making sense. He he was one of the few governors who actually convened real panels of genuine experts around this, sat down, listened to them, did what they did. Um, and he got plastered by the media. So, you know, it, it's, it's extremely difficult if you're a politician to, you know, people are going to die with COVID, yeah? yeah? That was clear. I mean, old people die of respiratory viruses. That people are going to die with COVID. If you do essentially nothing, because nothing is the correct way to act, and or, yeah, not completely nothing, but you prepare hospitals, you train people on managing elderly people with respiratory viruses, which you know goes back to good chest physio, CPAP, etc. If you do that, and you you, know, you give information to people who are particularly vulnerable, you help them to get healthy, you look at their vitamin D status, zinc, et cetera. Then, so you can do a lot to prepare, but you're not locking everyone down. You're not doing something dramatic that makes everyone take notice, like locking people down or forcing masks. Then people are gonna die and the media can point their finger at the politician and say, all these deaths are on you know, this politician. They're responsible for you know 500 deaths today, 700 deaths tomorrow, and a lot of people go on with that because when someone dies, they want to have a reason, they want to have someone to blame. Whereas if you if you're a politician and you lock down and you know you're going to cause you know far more deaths in the future through depression, the effects of unemployment, poverty, etc., or just you know closing access to hospitals for you know chest pain and so on then but, but the, the media are on your side, then they're going to say, yeah, this is a great politician who's acting 
urgently to you know address this crisis whereas the, the other one over there is apparently doing nothing so one of those politicians is more likely to be re-elected than the other and so you know it's i don't think you can separate politics from the media i think they they work together and politics really are very much um beholden to what the media wants them to do what are some things that you learned from all this pandemic and you know since we last chatted the first time and maybe even before that since the whole start to the end i mean i would call this the end even though the pandemic feels like it ended a while ago but the, more... this problem is just beginning i think you think um, it's just beginning i think it's just beginning yeah um because i think this is going to happen because they've proven a model which was wrong but they've proven that it, it makes massive amounts of money and centralizes power and it's hard to think of many people in history who've been in that position and not taken advantage of it um what have i learned I, i'm i have lost well i've learned a lot about big pharma actually because i um you know i didn't know much about like the viab scandal for instance um i was completely unaware of adulteration of vaccines in some instances in Africa associated with the World Health Organization. I worked in the organization. I think most people in the organization are still unaware that these happened. Right? Yeah, so, you know, they're, they're, these instances happened in the past and I was told by the media I trusted that they were conspiracy theories and it was anti-vaxxers, whatever that means, who were stating them, et cetera. So I just automatically turned off and took my, no more notice of that because I trusted the New York Times, et cetera. Um, didn't really trust CNN, but I trusted the New York Times in those days. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it opened my eyes a lot to how corrupted our institutions have become. And, you know, it's sort of obvious once you stop and you think it through, but so I was naive rather than, you know, justified in my previous position but I think most of us have been naive because it's a much easier position to be in so uh, I think that has changed but I've also um, you know I've also noticed that a, there are a lot of people who do stand up against this so we're talking about integrity and it really sorts out who has integrity and who hasn't and they're very different people so I think you know personally I've you know, met a lot of people who I wouldn't have otherwise met, I guess, who who are people of integrity or are worth knowing. So I take you know, that as a compliment. Yeah, I mean that's a big positive in life to have those sorts of people around you. So um, yeah, but it, you know, I think it's yeah, it, it's it sort of made me much less um, sort of black and white in terms of international relations and all the rest of it and you know left versus right and all this sort of politics stuff i think um i think it widens your it, scope it widens your scope and it changes what you think is really important in you know the way people think etc and it's it's not you know they believe or don't believe in you know, obamacare it's whether they believe that people have a right to choice of you know over what's done to them and their ideas of human rights and so on that you know and what what life is so
you mentioned it was just beginning, but do you have hope that there's a way to, you know, kind of slow the ball or people will just stop listening to certain restrictions and certain things that go on? I mean, there's always going to be a small number of the population that's going to be very, you know, hypercritical on a lot of these conditions that come out, but there's also going to be a number of people that just don't want to deal with any more lies and BS. I mean, hopefully we get the, some records on some of those vaccine related stuff as well too sooner than, you know, than they wanted to postpone it for. But I think the number of people that are experiencing like either dying or someone dying randomly or just some type of a side effect, I I'm starting to see that a little bit more now and I don't know if it's just the algorithm, but also I think it's because people are now searching for it more than they were before because they realize that there is some type of issue where they're not seeing it. Yeah, and I think it's not really clear exactly what's going on in terms of increased deaths and and reduced birth rates, etc. But it's clear that something is going on. And it's clear that what we're being told in the media is not... Um, a rational explanation or you know we're not being told in the media at all even though you know wouldn't you think a sustaining increase in mortality would be in young middle-aged adults would be a big media issue wouldn't you think you know across a huge number of countries a uh, five to 15 20 percent reduction in birth rate suddenly from late 2021 onwards would be a significant issue but the fact that the media isn't stating this, but people are starting to hear it from elsewhere, I think we'll be doing a lot to persuade them that they need to look elsewhere, they, that the media is not serving them as they thought it was. And when it comes to masks, six-foot distance, anything like that, you think that's going to be brought out in the next pandemic? Uh, yeah, in a lot of places, I think it will. So it, it made so much sense in the beginning with like, oh, yeah, keep your space, wipe down your surfaces, but it's also be examined a little bit more. It's like, isn't that shit you should be doing if you just don't want to get sick, like putting hand sanitizer on your hands and, you know, kind of taking care of yourself when it comes to well, hygiene? Yeah, it actually didn't make sense to me. Um, you know, our, our bodies are actually adapted to have a lot of stimuli. And, you know, they're pre-2020, it was becoming pretty well accepted that you know, a potential reason for increases in asthma and other diseases, one of them is a lack of exposure in early childhood to all these um, antigens, et cetera, because you know, we live in these sort of semi-sterile environments. So there are, and you know, early on in COVID, it was, it was clear very early on that almost no one died in childhood or healthy young adults that it was nearly all sick old people. That was clear in March. So to me, it made more sense that you would protect old people by the people who are near zero risk, just going through it as we do with every other virus and building up some community resistance so that these old people were less likely to get hit with big viral loads from you know previously non-immune people. So. I, I think none of it made, really made sense to me from the beginning. That's why I started to, to question all these other things. But, um, yeah, so, so I, I think we're still, especially with the way medical training is going and so on, I think 
we're going to go more and more in this direction. I think we're going to have this sort of dichotomy between those that just want to mask and you know, obsessively follow exactly what essentially Big Pharma is telling them and those who go more for you know, the sort of pre-2020 um, humans are actually pretty well adapted to our environment. We do need medical help in you know, a lot of key areas, but if you can be healthy and keep your body healthy, and then you're not going to be susceptible as other people to these diseases. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think you know the, the the problem, as you were saying earlier, is there are doc. You know, there's a lot of in the medical profession who who realise that and always have. But how do you actually allow um, an ind a medical industry to build up that is not tied to big pharma that can sort of push a more healthy lifestyle and so on. And how do you um, remunerate those doctors so that they can actually practice? And I, I think the way we're set up now is, is very difficult. So you're going to end up with these people who hardly ever see doctors, which probably isn't what you want either, um, because they just don't want to be part of this system, which is obviously corrupted. I mean, I don't go to a doctor really anyway, to be 100% honest with you. The booking times on that guy is insane. It's like, it'll be December, and he'll be like, well, I can't do take you in January, but your next booking date could be, how's October? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Book it. Whatever. I probably won't remember it. But if you've got appendicitis, you got to go to him. So. <laughs> That's very yeah. true. Um, but David, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show again, man. Um, especially a little bit different conversation, I think that we had the first time, and also with the panel episode. I noticed in the panel thing, we were you were talking a little bit more about the medical message and also a lot of the things, and I we never really talked about that before, and that's kind of what I wanted to do on this episode. Um, but is there a place where people can find your links? If you have your Substack, any other uh, Twitter? I don't have a Substack. Um, there's too many of them. There's yeah, I'm on Brownstone. Um, There's a lot of substacks. Yeah, I'm. I haven't got time to read that much. So they're on Brown. I'm on Brownstone Institute. Um, I'm on Panda, Pandata, and um, the um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Bell zero zero David. But um, I'm not a great social media. That's not a bad thing to be hundred percent honest with you. I'm surprised that some Twitter, I feel like, do you feel like Elon with Twitter and everything kind of opened up some things for a lot of people? Cause at, at this point I barely check it, but every time I go on there, I'm seeing things that I never usually see trending. Yeah. I, I got on it in 2020 for the first time because I, I was just trying to get information. So I, you know, people like Alex Berenson were just posting you know, websites from the HHS, et cetera. So you could actually find, the real numbers because you couldn't find them anywhere else. So that's how I started there. Just so it is a good, you know, it gives information that a sponsored media are unable to give you. So I think that it's that's where it's useful. Well, I'm going to link all your links in the description. Appreciate the time. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast.